0: The stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now there's the dream. We're going to look at the interpretation. But let's look just a minute, by way of review, at that dream. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, and that dream was, there are two parts to that dream. First of all, the image, and second, the smiting of the image. The same idea, the same concept is found also in Daniel chapter 7 only it's given Daniel chapter 7 from a different perspective. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, uh, the king, dreamed uh, a dream of a great image. Daniel chapter 3 is going to take that dream and make it into a real image and ask that all men bow down and worship that image. That's Daniel chapter 3. That's next Friday morning. But the dream, there were four parts. Number one, there was the head of gold. Number two, there was the chest and arms of silver. Number three, there was the belly and the thighs of brass, bronze. And then number four, there were the legs of iron and the feet and toes of iron and clay. Now that's the image. Then the second thing that the, that the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, the king saw, was that a stone cut out without hands. And all interpreters, (coughs) Interpret this of Jesus Christ. He's the stone cut out without hands. Comes and smites the image. Like a flying missile. Smites the image. He smites the image at its feet. It's interesting. He smites the image at its feet. Where are the ten toes? Second, he smites it cataclysmically, suddenly, dramatically. Third, what he smites it. He suddenly and cataclysmically destroys the whole image. It's not something that disintegrates over a couple of thousand years. That image is destroyed suddenly and cataclysmically. And then after <clears throat> the image is all destroyed, after this image has been reduced to dust, and the dust has been blown away, then what happens? Stone becomes a... grows. We don't find stones growing, do we? unless they're kidney stones. Now, Jimmy Latimer tells tell us, yeah, has sunstones grow, see. But most stones don't grow. But this is a stone that grows supernaturally, becomes a great mountain, and fills the whole earth. See, now, it's very important to observe that. The stone doesn't grow alongside the image. The image is gone. The image was reduced to dust before the stone grows and becomes a great mountain. They are not contemporary, they are consecutive. <clears throat> now those represent five kingdoms. The first one, well, let's look at the interpretation. Verse 36, this is the dream, says Daniel, and we will tell its interpretation before the king. Well, now if Daniel's going to give us the interpretation, God wants us to understand <laughs> it. God only gave us the dream, he wouldn't want to understand it. But he not only gave us the dream, he also gave us the interpretation. Thou, <clears throat> first one, the head of gold, thou king or king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, strength, glory, wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heavens have been given unto thy hand, and has made thee ruler over them all. Thou king or thee head of gold. So who does the head of gold represent? Yeah, it represents, first of all, who? Not simply Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. But we know it doesn't represent simply Nebuchadnezzar. Why do we know that it does not represent simply Nebuchadnezzar? In the next verse, what word do you have? In front of the word kingdom. What is it? Another. Verse 39. And after thee, after you, Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another king or kingdom? Kingdom. Kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar represents, when he says, thou art the head of gold, he means you and the kingdom over which you uh, govern represent the head of gold. So the head of gold is Babylon. Number two, who is the chest of thighs and silver? Well, after these shall arise another kingdom inferior. Here's a second kingdom, the kingdom that's represented by the chest of silver and arms. Now, who would this be? Come on now. How do we know? How do we know that? Daniel chapter 8. Keep your finger there. Turn over to Daniel chapter 8. You ought to put in the margin of Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. Daniel chapter 8, verses um, 21 and 22. Verses 20 and 21. Daniel chapter 8, verse 20. And the ram which thou sawest having two horns, Daniel 8, 20, and preceding this is obvious that Babylon precedes this in chapter eight. And the ram which thou sawest having two horns, these are the kings of who? Medo-Persia. Next one, and the rough goat that follows the ram that destroys the ram, the rough goat is the king of Greece. The great horn that's between his eyes is the first king. That would be Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is represented by that great horn. Don't confuse the great horn of Daniel chapter 8, Alexander the Great. Don't confuse the great horn of Daniel 8 that comes up on the he goat with the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, which represents the Antichrist, the man of sin. Don't confuse those two horns. So here's the interpretation. Right, the Bible. Back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. <clears throat> verse 39. The second kingdom after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And then another <coughs> third kingdom of bronze, which is inferior to the second. And that third kingdom is what kingdom? Come on now. What kingdom is it? Greece. Greece which shall bear rule over all the earth. that, of course, is the intent of Alexander the Great. Then chapter 40, uh, 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 verse 4. What is the third word in your Bible in verse 4? There's only four kingdoms. The legs and the feet, uh, the legs and the feet and toes of iron and clay (coughs) represent but one kingdom. The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, there's iron that breaks all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the clay. And as the toes of the part were part of iron and part of clay, we would call it today probably tile, hardened clay, tile, which is brittle. The toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay. So the kingdom, which kingdom? Number four, including the legs and the feet and the toes. So the kingdom, the fourth kingdom, shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere, one, the iron to the clay, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Now what kingdom is this? Yeah, this, uh, pardon? No, 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 no. Yeah, this is the fifth kingdom. Let's go back over that; It's important now. What's the first kingdom? The head of gold. What's the second kingdom? Medo-Persia. What's the third kingdom? Greece. And then the fourth kingdom, represented by the iron legs, and the feet and toes of iron, what kingdom is that? Mm -hmm. Then how, and then what's the fifth kingdom? Mm -hmm. Kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom that set up, now listen, that set up after all the other kingdoms are destroyed like dust and are blown away. These kingdoms, are they concurrent or are they consecutive? What are they? Consecutive, that's very important. See? They're not concurrent. Will you look here? See, they're not concurrent. Start that the kingdom of Babylon runs concurrent with the kingdom of Medo-Persia. The kingdom of Medo-Persia runs concurrent with Alexander's kingdom or the Greco-Macedonian kingdom. And the Greco-Macedonian runs concurrent with the Roman kingdom. And the, the Roman kingdom runs concurrent the kingdom of God's Son Jesus Christ. One declines, and then the other comes up. And then that second one declines, and the third one comes up. The third one declines, and the fourth one comes up. And then the fourth one doesn't decline, it's suddenly, dramatically destroyed. And after it's destroyed, then the fifth kingdom, the kingdom of the stone, grows into a mountain, is set up. How many great kingdoms are going to dominate, especially Western civilization? How many? Just five. No more. Just five. No more. No more. Babylon, Medo Persia, Greco Macedonian, Roman, and the kingdom of God's Son Jesus Christ. Someone says, Well, how come they're all centered over that way? How come they're not over in China? or over in India, because all these kingdoms are those kingdoms that are going to have some relationship to and focus upon Palestine, which, after all, is the center of God's dealings, as as the prophet calls Palestine Jerusalem, the navel of the earth. And uh, these kingdoms are developed in relationship to that. Now, we looked at the first kingdom. Look at chapter Chapter 2, verse um, 30, 38. The end of verse 38, what are the last five, six words of verse 38? Thou art the head of gold. So the Babylon kingdom, Babylonian, ran from five, six, oh five BC to 539 BC. The kingdom of Babylon ran from five, 605 BC, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar until about October (coughs) October, 539 B.C. Babylon. Babylon fell 539 B.C. Then following the fall of Babylon, we have the Medo-Persian, the second empire, which is indicated in verse 39. After these shall rise another kingdom, that's the Medo-Persian empire, and that ran from 539 B.C. till about, what was that date I gave you? about 331 B.C., about the time that Alexander marched across uh, uh, what we call today Turkey, Asia Minor, and Syria, and down into Palestine and Egypt, and then came on back up, and then marched east down through the Mesopotamian area and invaded uh, Persia, and Persia was conquered. And that's about 331, 330 B.C. And then the next one is the Greco Macedonian Empire. Now, the empire of Alexander was split up after his death. Alexander died 323 B.C. and his and, and his empire was split up in four ways. But the Greco-Macedonian Empire controlled Palestine and it controlled for the next couple hundred years. What was the date I gave you? About 331 to 1? One? One, about 146. About 146 B.C. Then, the next one is What empire is that? Rome, that's the fourth empire. And it begins, let's say, about 146. That's the fall of Carthage, North Africa. And that's the fall of Corinth in Greece. 146 B.C. How long does it run? How long does it run? Pardon? Well, it's still running. See? Still running. If we believe the kingdom of God's Son on earth, the stone that became a mountain is not yet set up. See. Now when we come to the fourth kingdom and the fifth kingdom, we come to a division in interpretation among conservatives. There are those conservatives that believe that the stone that became a kingdom becomes such at the first coming of Christ. And that through the preaching of the gospel, the... Kingdoms of this world are slowly disintegrated. 2,000 years it had to be slowly. Slowly disintegrated, and that slowly, alongside the disintegration of the kingdoms of this world, alongside the disintegration of the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God's Son is growing and becoming a great mountain. Now, that's one view. That's the view of our friends who are inclined toward what is called post-millennialism or even amillennialism. The other view is the view that of those who are inclined toward premillennialism, And that is that the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, is in a declining state but has not been totally dissipated. It rose to prominence from about 500 B.C., 400 B.C., until uh, about 400, 500 A.D. And then it declined but that it one day will be revived, the old Western Confederacy. And the 10 nations, the 10 toes of Daniel 2, and the 10 horns of Daniel chapter 7 represent the revival of that Roman Empire in Western Europe. Then one horn, uh, the 11th horn, will come to the ascendancy, representing the man of sin, Uh, or the Antichrist. He goes by a couple of dozen names. And that when that kingdom is in power, Jesus Christ will come suddenly, dramatically, like a flying missile, like the stone that hits the image in the feet, Jesus will come as a flying missile, so to speak, strike the image in his feet, and that the kingdoms of this world will be shattered suddenly, dramatically, cataclysmically, and they'll be reduced to rubble. And when they're reduced to rubble and swept away, then the stone becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. What does that represent? The universal kingdom of Jesus Christ over all this earth. Now, the question arises, which of these pictures better suits uh, the description given to us of these five kingdoms? Or should I turn that around, which we ought to turn around? Which of these two interpretations better leads more effectively to either one of these views? Uh, How was the kingdom destroyed, slowly or suddenly, dramatically? Where is it destroyed? Ten toes, the feet—that's where it smites it, not in the legs, but in the ten, the feet and the ten toes. When does the kingdom? The stone kingdom become a great mountain contemporary while the idol is still standing contemporary or after the idol's been reduced to rubble and then it rises consecutively which one consecutively see that's why that point is important so let's look at the description of this thing now going back to daniel chapter (laughs) 2 Let's look at verses 40 to 43, the fourth kingdom. The identity of that is Rome. Ex- nobody except the radical liberals deny the identity of that fourth kingdom. Whether men are premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial, whatever they may be, if they're Bible-believing, they all identify the fourth empire as Rome. And they all identify the fifth empire as the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The only difference is, when does this kingdom start? Fourth empire is Rome, and that's a fact of history. Only Rome fits the situation. And the description in Daniel chapter 2 about it being strong and crushing all opposition uh, is answered only in the empire Rome. All Bible believers agree that this is Rome. Now look, let's look at the description. It's uh, represented by the iron has an ability to crush and to destroy. Look at verse forty. Fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, the strongest of the four metals. What's was the strongest. Fourth kingdom is strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And as iron that breaks these shall it, this fourth kingdom, crush and destroy. And then there are two divisions, the legs, then beyond the legs, the feet, and the ten toes. Now, if you keep your finger there, uh, let's go over Daniel chapter 7. Would you please, with me, Daniel 7. All right, Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Now, you have the same picture, only under a different form. Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. Here's here's another dream, only uh, this is the dream that Daniel had. And this is God's view of these four kingdoms. Daniel 2 is man's view. Daniel 7 is God's view. Daniel 7, verse 4. The first was like a lion. That's the head of gold. Had eagle's wings. I beheld till its wings were plucked, was lifted up from the earth, made stand upon the feet as a man. Man's heart was given to it. Perhaps that's referring to what happened to Daniel in Daniel chapter 4. Behold, another beast, a second, like a bear. And it raised itself up on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between its teeth. That's the chest and arms of silver. That's Medo-Persia. Verse 6 And after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon its back four wings of a fowl to travel rapidly. That's Alexander, the Greek Macedonian Empire. The beast also had four heads. And How many parts did I say was Alexander's empire divided? Four parts. Four heads. And dominion was given to it. And then after this I saw in the night visions, the old the fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible. Strong exceedingly. it a great iron teeth. What did the image have? Legs of iron. Here it has iron teeth to crush and destroy. Devoured and broken pieces stamped the residue of its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten what? Now, the other had ten toes. But they both symbolize the same thing. This one had ten torn, horns. Verse 8, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them a little horn. Watch, three of the first horns are plucked up by the roots. Now, look over chapter 7, verse Verse uh, 23, he gives the interpretation. And he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. That's the Roman kingdom, which shall be different from all kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down and break in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten what? Kings or kingdoms. The king representing the kingdom. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kingdoms. Now that means, now we listen real carefully. That means that when the stone smites the feet in its feet, when the stone smites the image in its feet and the ten toes, it smites it sometime when that kingdom has within it, that empire has within it ten parts, ten kingdoms. So, what we have to do is look around and study and research and research and ask ourselves can we ever find a time when the Roman Empire had ten parts, ten separate kingdoms ruled by ten kings? And the answer is no. Never find it. Now, what many authors do, post millennial authors, is they'll have three kings here. And a hundred years later, two kings here. And a hundred years later, three kings here. But these ten toes and these ten kings are all at the same time, see? When does the stone smite the image? When all ten kings are present. So we got to find something in our interpretation which the stone, the kingdom of Jesus Christ destroys the fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom when it was constructed of ten sub-kingdoms. And that's never taken place. Now let's go back to chapter two. Chapter two, the final form of it given to us in verses 41 to 43. What you have, may I suggest to you, between verse 40 and verse 41, how much do you have there? About an eighth of an inch? You have about an eighth of an inch? Yeah, well, you've got about 2,000 years of history, I believe. you got about 2,000 years of history. Because what you have in verse 40 has already taken place. What we're going to have in 41, 42, and 43, I believe, has not yet taken place. You'll search in vain for any time when the Roman Empire had ten kingdoms within it. Never has happened. Verse 41. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and the part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. The, there shall be in it the strength of iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. As the toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay or tile, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere one to another, even as iron is mixed to uh, clay. Is not mixed to clay. Now what does this represent? Well, it simply represents the, the fact that in the final form of Gentile world power, there's going to have within this kingdom the uh, strength and weakness, iron and clay. That within the final ten-form kingdom, there's going to be the strength of iron and the weakness of clay. The kingdom shall be divided. These two do not stick together. It says they shall mingle themselves, but they shall not hear. Now, what does this refer to? Well, you know, interpreters going to have a field day with this sort of thing. I suppose we simply don't know. Uh, probably the best we can uh, get is that it represents that there will be in this final ten kingdom form of this world empire. Now, are you following me? In this final ten-kingdom form of the Roman Empire, there'll be those kingdoms that are autocratic, military dictatorships, the strength of iron, and also, I suppose, democratic with its weaknesses. There'll be those kingdoms that are strong politically. I, I suppose that iron represents strength in the political realm not social, not economic, not religious, political. So there'll be those empires that are strong politically, ruled by one man, an autocrat. And there'll be those kingdoms that are weak politically, ruled entirely by the men in general. And these two elements won't mix together, although they are within one larger empire. So here are these things. Now, we got Babylon, we have Medo Persia, we have Greco Roman from 331 to say 146. When does Rome begin? It began about 146 as far as its conquest of the Near East. Now, are you listing when will it end? That's what we want to know. See, everybody's agreed about the time it begins. Everybody's agreed. Premillennial, postmillennial, millennial everybody's pretty well agreed when the Roman Empire impo- The question is, when did it end? When was the image smitten in the feet and destroyed? Some men say that the image was smitten in the feet and destroyed at the first coming of Christ. That's the viewpoint, the normal all-millennialism. Some men say that the image was smitten at the feet, but is gradually being destroyed during this age through the ministry and preaching of the gospel. That's normal post-millennialism. Some men say that this image is destroyed suddenly, cataclysmically, and is replaced by the kingdom of God set upon this earth at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, those are the three major views of this passage. Now, you know obviously what I believe. I believe that the third view is the view that fits best the facts. And although I have many friends who are in the other camps and am out in Bible conferences, those who uh, are at other camps and have many dear friends who are in other camps. I believe that that, um, that the premillennial view does justice uh, to the church was not as far as postmillennialism is concerned. We have a rising tide of that in America today. The church was not the decisive force in the destruction of the Roman Empire, it was the invasion of the barbarians and the uh, mercenaries, the soldiers that Rome had to employ. We had a citizen army for hundreds of years, but after the days of Jesus, Rome had to start employing mercenaries. They had to do what we're doing today, only they had to purchase mercenaries from north of the Rhine Danube rivers, bring in aliens, put them in the army. And they served as a fifth column within the Roman Empire. And then there was certain internal decay. But the church was not the decisive force in the destruction of the Roman Empire. More than that, the decay was slow over hundreds and hundreds of years in the decline of the Roman Empire. Whether we put its decline about 500 A.D. or whether we put its decline about 1,000 A.D. It was slow. Decay was slow. What is the picture we have of the image and its destruction? Slow or cataclysmic? Cataclysmic, suddenly, smitten in his feet. More than that, the stone becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. Uh, Nobody can say that today. Nobody can say that the stone is filling the whole earth today. There are more pagans today than there were in the days of Paul. Nobody can say that's true even in Memphis the rising tide of crime, and the rising tide of pornography. Nobody could say justly that the stone is filling the mountain in Memphis, Tennessee. Simply not true. There are more paganisms. And pagans control the media, the newspapers, with all due respect, and the television, with all due respect. So it's hard to find a program that's entirely clean for our kids to watch, if you want them to watch. Fortunately, our television is old and it's gone on the blink on Channel 5 and Channel 3. <laughs> My kids still ask, you know, when are we going to get it fixed, that? Well, I said, just after the rapture. <laughs> See, and so if you want to... <laughs> The stone, notice furthermore, the stone did not begin to become a mountain until after what event happened. The image destroyed and became as what? dust. I wonder if everybody sees that point. See, only premillennialism fits that point. The image is destroyed, reduced to dust. When the image is destroyed, reduced to dust, then the stone begins to grow. Now, if that image represents the kingdoms of this world, that means the kingdoms of this world are destroyed, reduced to dust, before the mountain of the kingdom of God's Son grows in this earth and fills the whole earth. That's described, and we're not going to read it, in Revelation chapter 19. So I believe that this view, the premillennial view, forms it. There'll be continuous form of the fourth kingdom, though submerged, and submerged now for about 1,500 years. What will be its final form in the last days when it's revived? One empire with Ten separate parts, ten kingdoms. The stone destroys this image in the ten kingdom state. The final form will be ten tolls, ten horns, ten kingdoms. That has never taken place in Roman history. The stone destroys the image in the ten horn, ten toe state, ten kingdom state that has never taken place in history. It's destroyed, I believe, at the second coming of Jesus Christ suddenly, cataclysmically, and he sets up his universal and sovereign rule over all this earth. Why do I believe it? Let me give to you the reasons and then the time will catch us. Will you listen? Why I believe that uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ lies ahead. When he comes, he'll destroy the kingdoms of this world. And establish his kingdom. First of all, there's never been a federation of ten kingdoms united in one group and subject to one man. That's the first one. There's never been a federation of ten kingdoms united in one empire and subject to one man. Second, the second proof is the nature of the destruction. What kind of destruction is pictured in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Slow decay or sudden destruction. Which of them? Sudden destruction. And that's never had any fulfillment in history. Third argument. All these kingdoms are destroyed before. Now what am I going to add after, this, after the word before? All these kingdoms are destroyed before what? The stone kingdom grows and becomes a mighty mountain. That is, these kingdoms will be gone before the kingdom of Jesus Christ occupies this world, begins to grow, not simply fills this world, but begins to grow. The stone listen, the stone didn't begin to grow until after the kingdoms of this world were reduced to dust. It's not that the stone didn't become a mountain until that took place, but it didn't even begin to grow till after the kingdom's reduced. The fourth argument, this fifth kingdom is universal and total. It's universal, it covers all the world, and it's total in that it uh, it's, uh, brings every man within its sway. That's hardly true today. And the fifth argument is that the blessings that follow the stone's advent have never been fulfilled. We say, what are the blessings that follow the stone's advent? Universal peace. We got that today? No. Universal justice. We have that today? No. Every man shall sit under his own fig tree. Whatever a man earns, that will he get. Nobody will connive around and get more than he put in. See, that's the basic premise on which gambling is wrong. See, that a man ought to get what he invests. In that day, whatever a man invests, that will he get. Every man will sit under his own fig tree. Whatever work and labor he has invested in, in the millennium, that will a man get back. And there'll be equity and justice and perfect peace. And those conditions have never obtained. Then we have in Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 to 49, we have the conclusion, which is the promotion of Daniel. Now you can read that. I'd like for you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, read the fulfillment of this, I believe, in Revelation chapter 19. All right, let's go over to Revelation 11 first. Will you please? Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 Says in Revelation 11:15, the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world <clears throat> is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and forever. Now let's go over to Revelation chapter 19, and here it describes: This is the smiting of the stone in His feet. Revelation chapter 19 is a is an explanation of the smiting of the stone in His feet. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. Behold, the white horse, and He that sat upon Him is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he had judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should do what? Like the stone, smote the image at his feet. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. This take place after the battle of Armageddon. Verse 18, that you meet the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit upon them, the flesh of all men, both free and enslaved, both small and great. And I saw the beast, which is another name for the man of sin, the Antichrist. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. What kings? Those ten kings that are allied with him. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet wrought miracles before him, which to see them that received the mark of the beast and them that worship his image. And these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The beast, the Antichrist, and his henchmen, the false prophet, are cast into hell before the millennium the devil is not cast in the into hell until after and the remnant were slowly deteriorated for several hundred years is that what it reads why does it read in verse 21 and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh and skip down to chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them beheaded for the witness of Jesus for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads and their hands. And they lived. They lived means they were resurrected and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest, the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years are finished. This the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death shall have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I'm going to close. What if you look up here? We finished that study of Daniel chapter 2, and you're going to say to me, I'm uh, kind of out at sea, and not only am I out at sea, but the fog is kind of heavy. Well, We're gonna, Daniel knew that, God knew that, so he's gonna come back the second time and give us a second picture of the same thing with a little more added detail in Daniel chapter seven. Now, I wanna close with this. You know, there are two, we we have two prayers in the Bible. Matthew chapter six, which is, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's a prayer, thy kingdom come. I believe myself personally, that's a prayer for the coming of Jesus Christ to establish his reign upon this earth. We also have the book of Revelation, last chapter, even so come Lord Jesus. That's a prayer for the coming of Christ, I believe, for his church. And in my my own personal experience, I pray for them both. See, even so come Lord Jesus because I know what that's going to mean for me. But when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying for the vindication of the Son of God in this very scene where he was despised and rejected. And in a certain sense, I ought to be more concerned about that than I am about my own personal blessing. When I pray, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven? Perfectly. How will the will of God be done on that day? Perfectly, you see. Well, Jesus Christ will be vindicated and honored in this place where he was crucified and rejected. And I want to tell you, I'm jealous in the right sense for the vindication of God's Son and increasingly so today when I see his name blaspheme in the media and on television and up and down the streets, God someday is going to vindicate his son and Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And he'll be then what old Dr. Armady used to call the beneficent despot. My wife says, don't use that term. I like that. The beneficent despot. You know what a despot is? Somebody rules with an iron hand. He will, but he will be beneficent. Francis Bacon said, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Not with Jesus Christ. He's the perfect man, and into his hands one day will be placed the sovereignty of this universe. Father, we thank thee for that coming day. We pray even so, come Lord Jesus because that'll be the day when we see our Savior and he'll take us to himself. And that'll be a tremendous day. But O Lord, as far as thou art concerned, as far as thy son Jesus Christ is concerned, what a great day that will be when the Son of God comes not humbly as a baby to Bethlehem What is the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the sovereign of this universe, to the Mount of Olives, thou didst give the kingdom of this world to the first Adam. He let it slip out of his hands. Thou hast given the sovereignty of this world to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And someday he'll come and take the reins of this world and rule it with perfect justice and equity. And he will be vindicated this place where he was rejected. We sometimes ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the millennium? Why, above all else, the purpose is to vindicate the Son of God in the arena in which he was despised and rejected. And so we can pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.